Welcome to the Respectfully Podcast. I'm Lily Cox. And I'm Nikki Pope. And this week we are discussing the hot topic of sustainability. Yes, we have two guests with us who know a lot about the subject and hopefully we're going to share ideas and inspire and instigate conversation. We have Tim Hartley. After 30 years as creative director at Sassoon, Tim now has his own brand, Tim Hartley Education, and travels literally around the globe doing shows and seminars. And we're also joined by Graham Pollard, an award-winning freelance educator and hairdresser. He's a big believer in continued professional development, and he's hugely passionate about sustainability. Welcome, guys. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. There's a lot talked about sustainability these days. We've had the Blue Planet conversation. We've got a lot of to and fro in the industry about the use of plastics and now coming through the conversation about the ugly side of the fashion industry. And I'm just thinking, where does hairdressing fit in that story? So I know, Graham, you've just swapped brands yes. because you're particularly interested in this conversation, this, this debate about sustainability. Yeah. Um, on the plastic front, um, I know the brand that I'm using now is, is, is using uh, PET plastics, so completely recyclable. The company that I work with now, they're 98% organic and 95% natural products within their ingredients. And I will say uh, other brands are available, but this is naturally the brand correct. that you're talking about. So, yes. yeah. Tim, you are not entirely salon based these days but obviously you travel a lot and you're still working with a lot of products and things how do you where do you stand on the on the ingredients the formulas with things well i'm i'm proud to have worked with the uh, the great uh, the good and the bad and the ugly uh, to be <laughs> frank and uh, but i'm more mindful these days of the sustainability of the brands that i work with because I, f I feel as though it's our job to keep an eye on um, what's in the frame with young people yeah. more yeah. than anything. Yeah. And um, as much as, you know, you look at the fashion world uh, that have embraced, um, you know, street culture in terms of, you know, high-end brands now provide um, desirable things for street kids. Yeah, the labels. Well, the high-end brands now have to um, provide something that which is going to be attractive to kids that don't want the seas clogged with plastic. Yeah, and, more aware uh, of it. And need to make more noise. Lily, have you learned more about sustainability and environmental things through schools, through universities? Where do you think the sort of the 20 to 30s stand on this? I certainly think that the 20 to 30s are quite passionate about sustainability. I don't necessarily think that they, the choices they make and the practices they make are fully sustainable yet, but there's a lot more awareness than there ever was before. I think a lot of that comes from documentaries, as you say, like the David Attenborough Blue Planet. That was that really poignant scene with the plastic bags in the ocean. And I really feel like my generation are aware of the choices. So Graham, coming to you, because you, you have a, a clientele, do you find that they are asking you, is, is there a demand for you to be more aware of the products and the colour, or are you educating your clients? Where, where's the balance? I am educating my clients and they will always go with me being the brand and, and what I choose to go with. 
uh, but also I've found I've increased my clientele through social media, through just hashtagging sustainable, Having hashtagging vegan, hashtagging mm. organic. Right, so people are looking. And so they're look, yeah. the people are out there looking for that option. Yeah. And what about you, Tim, the hashtag generation who's searching for things? You work a lot. I know you're The hashtag really... darling eludes me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I will get the hang of it, I promise. <laughs> but you work with a lot of young people. I know in your teams you make a big effort to bring people through and to... Um, you're travelling so much, so not just the people attending your shows and seminars, but I know you build teams. Are you? Are they talking to you about it more? Uh, yeah, most definitely. I know that... Uh, well, Tina Anderson, who's my partner in crime, is Danish. Mm. And I think it's fascinating that, you, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about um, something which is created in, uh, in Denmark. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm learning all the time. I'm, it's my job to sort of try and learn and be as aware as I possibly can, um, of, 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 of everything. Um, but I've had people saying to me, you know, well, hair shows are not sustainable. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, yeah. In what way? So just, just for the well, benefit of people joining well, us. Well, just, you know, I mean, one of the most famous things that, and the most amazing things that Vidal used to say uh, when he was doing press or TV or, you know, whatever, he'd say to me, Tim, give me your scissors. Oh, God, and your comb. And... You know, he'd, and he'd have the scissors and comb in his hand. And he'd say, with this pair of scissors and this comb, we can change people's lives. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's such a profound thing mm. because, it, A, it puts us on a more professional level. It puts us on the same le le level as your therapist or your, yeah. you know, yeah. Your, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it elevates the, uh, and makes mm. us a professional. I know that some of the smaller, more boutique brands, like the one that you work with, Graham, and a few others that I'm aware of, maybe have more of a sustainability focus because they, they have that kind of more the ethos, yeah. ethos and mm -hmm. feel. Um, but where do you think the larger manufacturers are on this? Do you think they have a duty of care? And, and to how much do you think they are you know, really helping salons and stylists and colourists to understand how they can better their recycling processes and ingredients? I think they, they all, all the big manufacturers, I was talking to someone who works in fashion and, and sustainability is the main focus for every huge brand now. But I think they need to step up to the mark a lot more and not just give it lip service. And we were talking earlier about the colour. So Annie Humphreys, who you worked alongside for such a long time, the, the, the woman who is colour, really, had quite a, a strong point of view on the use of how much product, didn't she? Oh, most definitely. I, I mean, you know, to be... Uh, she had everybody with a level of awareness of uh, you know how much of, of the actual stuff you know was being used, and it was all always as Graham was just saying to me earlier. You know he mixes his colours in front of the client, yeah. and it's that whole bespoke sort of ceremony of colour, the theater, um, making theatre of it. Which yeah, which I think all of those things make us. Uh, more modern in our thinking. I think sustainability is really about modernity of thought. Mm. Well, that's interesting, because, <laughs> um, Graham, you were saying earlier about a course that you took at Skylar London. Yes. And yeah. um, her approach to mixing colour and waste. That's right. And um, at the end of the, um, the colour application, the, if there is anything left in the bowl, it is then weighed and... And there are penalties. Um, <laughs> I try to think what they are, but yeah. I, I don't quite know what she does to do stuff, but, <laughs> but there are penalties. And, and it's, it's just to make the stylist more aware. So 
If you think you can get away with 40 grams of tint, maybe mix 30 grams because it might just be that it's going that bit further. Yeah. And, and then if you need a little bit more, then mix the extra 10 grams at the end of the process. Yeah, so not being so. lazy about it. Tim, you travel a lot. Do you find it's different in different countries? So might it be, have you, are you aware of, I know you've worked in Asia a lot well, recently. Yes, I mean, well, exactly. The country I, of packaging. I, I mean, I think, I, I believe that they're making more efforts in China. Um, I mean, J- Japan has always been um, a very sort of mindful uh, society. And, uh, and I think we probably, if we took the lead more from, um, from that sort of train of thought. Yeah. Um, the whole uh, sort of respect and uh, that's given to um, yeah. you know being uh, like beautiful handmade paper and uh, all, all things that they do so yes because well they do so a lot of packaging but perhaps a bit more aware of what yes, they use and, and uh, you know I think also um, I would rather uh, pay more for something and have something that I could keep mm. yeah. yeah for instance you and know again and. Um, I mean, if you go to, to Japan, what I, I, I love are the tea caddies. I'm obsessed with the, you get the beautiful wooden ones, they make yeah. them from tin, they make them from brass, steel, you know, you know whatever. Yeah. Um, and they're keepers, and, and they improve with age. So why can't we have that kind of packaging for our, uh, our yeah. favourite you know, hair products? Yeah. yeah. And make it more ceremonial and, yeah. more, and more beautiful. Yeah. Make the world more beautiful. It's that whole thing of like plastic can be recycled and if we do consciously recycle it, then it's good. If we put everything in glass then and then glass ends up as plastic is in the ocean, in the countryside, in Richmond Park, just thrown and cast cast everywhere, then that creates a problem. So it's not plastic that's the problem, it's it's the people and and their awareness of not recycling it. Where do you guys stand on the whole use less, wash your hair less often, um, perhaps water saving? So Lily, again, as a sort of younger generation consumer, did you grow up with the idea of using less water? Because I'm constantly telling my kids not to run the tap while they're washing their teeth and they're boys, so actually they're quite happy to stay away from the bathroom. But <laughs> where, where on the hair washing, because a lot of hairdressers will say, oh, just tell your clients to wash their hair less often. Well, I personally wash my hair every other day. I know a lot of people wash it daily. I know a lot of people do go longer in between. I think that's my personal preference. It's never necessarily been because of water usage, but I know that more and more my generation in particular are aware of that. I'm aware of that every time I put the washing machine on with a half load. I feel horribly guilty afterwards or at 40 degrees instead of 30 degrees or 60 degrees instead of 30, whatever it might be. So... I know that water usage is a big one, and I, and I think it was Cape Town actually was in the news earlier this year for being one of the first cities that might actually run out of water, which is bonkers when you think mm. about it. But what about you, Graham? What do you do in terms of your water consumption? Do you, what's your plan? So I use biodegradable towels, so so I'm not doing so much laundry. Obviously, I don't have biodegradable gowns, so um, so I do launder those. Um, but I do try and cut it down when whilst washing the colour off, yeah. colour treatments, um, conditioning treatments, all of that kind of thing, switch it off in between. Uh, I certainly, I only do ever, because the gowns don't get 
physically dirty. They might have a bit of hair on them, yeah. um, but they don't really get dirty. So they go in a cold wash for 20 minutes and, and that's yeah, it, and exactly. they're hungry. So, yeah. um, for your clients, I mean, what, what do you get the feeling that they do with their hair? Like, how often do you feel like they wash it, or do you advise on those kind of things? I do advise some of them, but then I do have a lot of girls that will take a dry shampoo mm. to use that in between. So they might get away with washing it not washing it on the third day, using a dry shampoo mm-hmm. just to absorb the oil and things, and then tying it up. Yeah. So, yeah. Tim, you've got a slightly more Strong controversial view on, view on this. I know. Tell us what your view of the hair washing for clients is. Well, <clears throat> as with a lot of things, I think a lot of people don't know how to shampoo their hair yeah. properly. I find that the idea of dirty hair creeps me out. I find it gross and pagan. <laughs> <laughs> I think it takes us backwards 30 odd years within the industry. I think that, you know, having worked for the pioneer of hair products where you had not one, two, but three steps to beautiful hair, um, was we've lost that sort of ceremony, that beauty ceremony, you know, of, you, you know, British Vogue would, you know, Bianca Jagger, would write in British Vogue in 1973, when I became Vogue involved, that her beauty regime would be to bathe, apply her makeup, bathe again, to set the makeup and, and to finish off her hair. Wow. Really? There is, um, again, a, a younger generation that is coming through with this idea of mindfulness and more awareness of the planet and more awareness of their well-being and their mental health and their, you know those kind of practices that maybe goes to yoga mm-hmm. and and eats clean and all that stuff. So I think it will eventually sort of align a little bit more the sustainable practices. People don't just know instinctively how much product to use and yeah. how much yeah. water yeah. and yeah. what the temperature is. And we have to educate them. Uh, because they wash the living daylights out of their hair, yeah. probably. Yeah. And, you know, hair, even, you know, really beautiful hair, when I, when I first started training... Um, would have a certain amount of moisture in it even when it had been blow dried. Mm. Whereas now, the 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 guts has dried out of the hair, mm. and um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to stay higher and fuller for mm. the day. Yeah. It's it's not. No. You know, gravity is gravity, and as an ad, it's what it is. And, and really, the shampooing and the conditioning should be done accordingly to what you, the texture of your hair is and the look. And feel that you want to achieve from it. Now, do they don't talk about that on shampoo ads? No. Or, you know, they don't. Um, y- y- somehow, I think I feel as though um, the hairdresser and his expertise that we all have, mm-hmm. we have a certain amount of things that are inherent to us. Um, but people don't just know how to. Um, no, you're quite right. I was brought up to wash their hair. What, they I, don't. Was, I was brought up to shampoo twice. Yes, exactly. Do we do that or don't we do that? I've never actually asked anyone. And I also know every salon I've sat in, either prior to working in the hairdressing industry uh, or during, the advice of putting a coin-sized bit of product in my hand, I've literally sat there and thought, well, I've got too much hair, I'm going to have to double that. (laughs) And and I do. And because I'm equally, I'm lucky enough to be gifted products and so on, I'm probably even more inclined to go like that in the shower and stick it all on. And it is, as Lily said, we use too much. Yeah. 
And I think that's all down to our responsibility and we should be consulting every client, even if it's someone we see every week, of of what their journey's been in that last week and what they've done, how they've achieved it and and just helping them to use less. Yes, and to maybe, you know, have a day off heat styling your hair and and all those things. And I think that's a big trend now as well, isn't it? Healthy hair. I just find it incredible that young women can wear beautiful clothing and their hair's in tatters yeah. and threads yeah. and they pull it round to the front so it sort of looks alright and then there's a bit of dodgy bit in the back and it just, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work as a dynamic, it doesn't work in any shape or form. Yeah. Um, and what it is, it's almost like that culture of dancing in front of the bedroom mirror, isn't it? Oh, I look great. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's really a, a, about knowing how to be your personal best, isn't it? And yeah. And, you know, your hair is, your, is, is, is the crowning glory. And 360 degrees, so it's not just what your hair looks like at the front. <laughs> That's exactly. Yeah. It's what yeah. it looks like at the back and yeah. the side and yeah. the di- yeah. diagonal and through. Yeah. 360 degrees outside and in. Mm-hmm. So we need to, hairdressers need to be having the conversation about how people look after their hair and how they look after them with products and what's in them. Mm-hmm. But in a more holistic approach. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and even going down to your diet. I was in New York and it was February and the weather was terrible. There's snow up to you know your elbow, your knees, and um, I was doing a, a launch of a new hairspray. And I had the idea of recreating a photo shoot, and I took a photographer with me, and we got amazing models. It was it's a long time ago now, um, but the thing was that in order to get all these editors in. Uh, we used to do desk sides and go actually to the magazines, but this was a big launch and they had the budget, so they sent limos for the people to, to bring them in and uh, there were two sittings and two lots of Vogue came and it was amazing. Well, these editors were so badly behaved um, because they were just nattering, you know, showing off their new handbags or, you know, yeah. talking about the Sorry latest, about that. You know, <laughs> and yeah, you know, well, it's the same the world over. And, um, and this poor man had to get up and talk about um, the, the technology that was in the hairspray. And they couldn't give a tinker's cuss about yeah. it. Yeah. And, uh, and they were really quite rude. I was shocked. I think it was 1990 because I had my first Prada man's, menswear on. <laughs> and I was feeling really <laughs> super duper. Anyway, the minute that we came out with, with my colleague Elizabeth, at the time, was artistic director in in the US, and uh, and David Oldham was the photographer. He said to me afterwards, he said, "If only we could bottle the atmosphere when you lot walked out, because all of these ladies suddenly started to behave and take notes about the cuts, the colours, the finish yeah. of the hair. Mm. They didn't take any notice whatsoever of the scientist poor man. He 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 died a death. Yeah, and um." And that shows the how hair involved um, people are because these women were naturally interested, but they also are doing a job to impart the information to their to their yeah. readers. Yeah. And and, and I thought that, that so I, I, my respect level went up big time, you know, for for those people because I thought, well, they actually are really doing a very good job here. Yeah. Mm. Um, now, how much of that works? That was nineteen ninety. How much of that is happening today? I do not know how many hairdressers you know can actually go with their story. Yeah. You know, people like like us, 
I think very rarely get the opportunity to talk to opinion formers. Our job is to get the information out there. Mm. Lily and I work particularly in the hairdressing industry, so that's business to business. So we talk to hairdressers rather than consumers, but yeah. the consumer editors are trying to share with the readers and the influencers online. I think it is important for us to encourage what I think is a genuine growing interest in the contents of the bottle and the way it's used. I think the manufacturers have a responsibility to improve the contents and to take notice of this. Certainly, I think it's huge now for the consumers to be aware of what's within the actual product itself and the ingredients. I know that consumer magazines now do the hit list ingredient and they will pull you know, product lists together, whether it's face moisturisers or body moisturisers or hair products that use that key ingredient, whatever that might be, right? Yeah, and can I also say not only the ingredients, but where those ingredients have come from. So if it's organic, is it certified organic from certified organic farms? What about child labour? Yeah, what about huge. modern slavery? You yeah. know, lots of the products are made in, in sweatshops in countries. Animal testing is a huge, huge thing for me. And, you know, any product that can be sold in China has to be animal tested. So whether the, the big boys that are, are saying that they're vegan friendly or animal friendly... Um, if they're selling their products in China, then it's not. You know, how about, and I'll probably get uh, you know, shot down for saying this, but how about if, we, if you were to give all the empty packaging back to the manufacturer who'd mm. made it in the same way as Nespresso will come and collect mm. the, the coffee capsules, capsules yeah. then they'd start doing something about it because yeah. you know, it's like in the supermarket, the guerrilla tactics of like unwrapping yeah. all your packaging and leaving it at the supermarket mm. is the best way of making it the supermarket's problem. Yeah. Mm. You know, if hairdressers were to do that or even to do it for a week to mm. encourage people to bring in their empties. There needs to be an incentive an incentive behind it. I mean, Tim was talking about H&M, and, sorry, Nikki was talking about H&M earlier, and I know that they do that with a recycling scheme. They yeah. don't have the healthiest footprint when it comes to sweatshops, etc., mm -hmm. but they do take in your old clothes and, and you get an incentive in, in a voucher for the shop. And I think that manufacturers have a duty to do something similar yeah. for the salons and the stylists that use their products to encourage the sustainability, the recycling processes, and to, to, to really catapult that. Yeah. I think that Lily and I in the media have a responsibility to share the message in our own practices to be more aware of paper and the value of using mm. online communications and so forth. I think salons in your own practices, in your own premises, your buildings, kind of paint you use to decorate with the towels you use have a have a duty of care and the manufacturers equally must play their part i think we all i think it's so important to have this conversation anyway though to, to be sat here with both graham and tim and to just to be discussing the state of the industry in terms of the sustainability and the recycling and the, those big questions it just helps it helps to start talking about it because hopefully then that disseminates the message yeah. and more people will be encouraged to have the conversation maybe within their salon, yeah. with their clients. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Salon teams. Yeah. So Graham, what would you want to leave as a couple of comments, a point of action? Let's let's say a point of action that uh, a hairdresser could do. 
and Tim will come to you so you can be thinking. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, or, or what is a big bugbear for you? What would be the the first thing you want to say? Stop doing this or animal testing. Yeah. Um, it should be outlawed. It it doesn't need to happen anymore. We we've got so many proven products out there. Uh, so many organic and natural products out there that can do the same job as a lot of the petrochemical based products mm. and and we just don't need to test on animals anymore yeah okay. is it are our brands obliged to mark on their packaging that a product has or hasn't been tested on animals they're not obliged to but it obviously helps their growth and helps their sales so i know with uh, the company that I work with, all of the new products that are coming out now, they have like a vast um, part of their range is already vegan certified and right. everything, but it's very costly for yeah. the manufacturer to go through vegan certification. And it doesn't happen just once, it has to be retested every year and proven every right. year. as an ongoing. Yeah. So that something that any hairdresser at any stage and age and salon owners can look check their packaging and ask the question yeah. to their suppliers it will have the it'll have the vegan symbol on the front with a big sunflower okay yeah. great Fabulous. and Tim any, <laughs> last, any last thoughts on the sustainability question I, I, I think uh, all, all roads lead to Rome for me and um, you know I feel as I've, I've learned a lot this morning so thank you uh, in conversation just in ourselves to be more mindful I think it would always have been considered slightly off kilter and a bit naff to be um, you know sustainable and to be an eco warrior um, whereas now I feel it's the one of the most um, important and uh, relevant things uh, that there is in our world today um, so I think just to be mindful of that is, is a big, big start, because certainly for me it is. Yeah. And, um, and as, I, as I said in the beginning, you know, the, the watchword for me has to come from, from the younger generation and, you know, what they're thinking and feeling. And I know from my own nieces and nephews and, uh, you know, my immediate circle um, that, that, that this is changing radically. Thank you very much, Tim Hartley, for joining us today. Thank you very much, Graham, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you to everyone listening to the Respectfully podcast on sustainability. Thank you to our guests, Tim Hartley and Graham Pollard. I'm Nikki Pope and my partner is Lily Cox. And we've got show notes for you on interesting reading and practical advice for what you can do to join in the conversation. Please also don't forget to rate and review us and subscribe on iTunes. And if you'd like to, email us at info at ihaa.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the topic. Until then, goodbye.